This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Folks, I would submit to you that the church, the modern-day church, at least the American church, does not look at God as the Almighty God when it comes to earthly things. They might see Him as the Almighty God in heaven. But the modern-day church does not see the Almighty God as being Almighty here on the earth. Because if He was Almighty here on the earth, they wouldn't be making excuses for why stuff doesn't happen. Look with me over to Psalm 78. We know some things. We're going to fast forward to some things that happened with Israel and what God did for Israel. But the 78th Psalm kind of summarizes a few things that we'll talk about in a little bit of detail. We'll see how much. Let's start reading in verse uh, 12. It says, Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers, talking about Israel, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the waters to stand up as a heap. If you look up these words, it literally means he congealed the water in its place. I don't know if he froze the water or if he turned it into jello. I'm not sure what he did. But he made walls for him to walk between. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud and at night with a light of fire. He clave or divided the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Now, folks, this, uh, what is this, verse uh, 15, where it says, gave them drink as out of the great depths. These words, one translation says, limitless waters. Another, the word depths literally means the abyss. It means you can't find the bottom. Okay, verse 17, and they sinned yet more against him by provoking the most high in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spoke against God. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? I love this. Anytime you see Israel questioning and challenging God, God always shows himself strong. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh also for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. That means mad. So a fire was kindled against Jacob and anger also came up against Israel because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them the corn of heaven. Man did eat the angel's food, and he sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations, so that it eat and were filled, for he gave them their own desire. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. They're asking something with the wrong attitude, and God still met their need. See, the devil's right there on our shoulders saying, if everything's not just exactly right, I mean, if you've got just the wrong, just the least little wrong bit of attitude, that's it. God's not going to do anything for you. Look at what God did to these people that were provoking him. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying these things for people to be greedy. The Bible tells us that our attitude toward money is of utmost importance. Now, turn with me. I want you to see something else about this. The first time it talks about the quails is they come in at evening. It doesn't tell us how often this happens. It doesn't indicate that it's a one-time thing, but it's not an everyday thing. 
at least the Bible doesn't identify that it lasted for 40 years like the, like the, uh, the manna lasted for 40 years. So there's a big question mark about the quail. We know that it could not have lasted for 40 years because some years later they start complaining that they don't have any flesh or meat to eat. So the quail can't still be going on if they're complaining. You with me? So let's look at when it happens the next time. Look with me over to uh, Numbers chapter 11. Let's start reading. Uh, let's just start in verse 1. It says, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. Yeah, really. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried. And, uh, by the way, the implication here is that people that complain against God are the ones that pull out on the edges. Here's a type of backsliding. So many times you have, particularly young people, you have young people that want to argue about, well, is it wrong to drink? Is it wrong to smoke marijuana? I mean, after all, marijuana is grown from a plant. God created plants. I mean, you can make any argument you want to make. But what happens is people start trying to figure out how far away from God can we live and still be okay. I I use the example sometimes about on the edge. You fall off the edge, it's sure death. But how close can we get to that edge without falling over? Folks, I'm not really concerned about how close I can get to the edge. I want to know how far away from the edge can I stay. That's the place of safety. This is exactly what they're doing. The fire consumed the people on the outside because the people on the outside of the camp were the ones that were doing the complaining. And that's what it's like when you live apart from God. So the fire of the Lord consumed them that were at the uttermost parts of the camp. The people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taborah, which means burning, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them, now this mixed multitude are not just Israelites, they're not just the Jews, but they're also Egyptians that came out of Egypt with them. When a lot of the Egyptians saw the the, uh, the plagues and saw that God was on Israel's side, when, e- when Israel left Egypt, they came out with them. We don't know how many it was, but it calls them the mixed multitude. Multitude indicates there's a lot, but I don't know what kind of number to attach to that. So the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Let's folks stop and think about how stupid an argument this is. Remember how good it was when we were slaves? Man. We had cucumbers. We had melons. Leeks. Man, weren't those leeks good. And onions. <laughs> and garlic. Man, it was so good when we were in bondage in Egypt. Yeah, that's why they were so happy there. Right? That's why they were so happy there. Now, folks, here's how it works. The mixed multitude are the ones that start saying this, and the children of Israel pick up on it. Because the mixed multitude were not slaves in Egypt. And that's the way the world pulls on you. 
And now our soul is dried away, and there's nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as coriander seed, and the color thereof as the color of bdellium. And the people went round about and gathered it and ground it into mills or beat it into a mortar and baked it into pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. In other words, it tasted good. And they're complaining about what they've got. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, then the manna fell upon it. And then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Also, Moses was displeased. Let's skip down a little bit. Um, Let's skip over to verse 30. Where? 31. It says, now here's, this is God answering because they're complaining. God does not owe them an answer. But their question is, who's going to give us flesh to eat? They're challenging God. Can't, are you not big enough to give us something else? Now their attitude's wrong. No question about it. But here's what happens when God is put to the test. The end result is they're going to have plenty. So let me stop and put this, pose this question to you before we read any further. And that is, if God answers people who challenge him with the wrong attitude in the Old Testament, why would he not answer those of you, uh, those of his children, you and me, who challenge him based on what his word says he will do with the right attitude? Verse 31. And there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quails from the sea and let them fall by the camp as it were a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side. That means they didn't fall in the camp. God didn't mess up their camp, but on both sides. If the, if the pulpit top is the camp, then they fell on this side as much as, it, as far away as it would take a day to walk. On this side as far away as it would take to walk in a day too. And on the other side, round about the camp, as it were, two cubits high upon the face of the earth. Two cubits high is about 36 inches. And the people stood up all that day, and all that night, and all the next day, and they gathered the quails, and he that gathered the uh, least gathered ten homers, and they spread them all abroad, for they themselves were round about the, for themselves round about the camp. Okay. Let's explain what this is talking about. There's, there's two schools of thought here. There's two feet high. Some people, and again, you got some people that are going to try to explain away the miracles of God. Some people are saying they're just flying three, three feet off the ground. Okay. How does that help anybody? Folks, the Bible says that they fell. That means God brought these quail. And by the way, there are historical accounts of this type of bird in that part of the region or that part of the world. It talks about uh, Pliny, which was a, a, a historian, not a Christian historian or anything like that, but it talks about a boat, literally a boat that sank because all these quail, flocks of quail, landed on the boat and it caused the boat to sink. So it's not unheard of for giant flocks of birds, these kinds of birds. But God is bringing these things in from the sea. Now that means he's bringing them in from the west, and as a result, they come, and when they get within a day's journey of the camp, some of them have heart attacks and fall dead on the ground. Some of them fly through the camp, get on the other side, and before they get a day's journey away, they have heart attacks and fall on the ground. And they're stacked up three feet high. Now, it says the guy that gathers the least. Now, now in this situation, it's everybody out there trying to gather food. This is what they've been asking for. And God answers the prayer, or complaint. 
And so everybody goes out. I would imagine that the one that gathers the least are going to be the kids. Just a guess, but, you know, you figure it out for yourself. So it says the one that gathers the least gathers ten homers. Now, a homer is the equivalent of six and a quarter bushels. So that means ten homers would be 60.5 bushels. Now, this size bird, and and everybody knows what the, the size is, this size bird has 120 quail per bushel. The average size bird would, would result in about 120 quail per bushel. So that means there would be 740, I'm sorry, 7,488 quail for the person that's gathering only 10 homers worth of quail. Now, if we take that as the minimum number and multiply times 2, 2 million people, that is almost 15 billion quail. If it's 3 million people, then that's 22.5 billion quail. Poor old God, I wonder if he's got enough to pay my rent. Let me tell you something else. There was a, uh, and you can find, you can find this online for yourself. It's, uh, nobody disputes it. Somebody argue, will argue some of the numbers. But uh, uh, shortly after World War II, the quartermaster general, he's the guy that's of the army. He's the, he's the guy that's responsible for all the provisions and getting all the provisions. He's the head guy for, for making provisions for the army. He did a, a, a study based on the children of Israel in the wilderness. So let me, let me read what he put. He was a Christian guy. He, Moses and the people were in the desert, but what was he going to do with them? They had to be fed and fed, and that's what he did, according to the quartermaster general in the army. It is reported that Moses would have had to have 1,500 tons of food each day. Do you know uh, that to bring that much food each day, two freight trains each a mile long would be required? Besides, you must remember they were out in the desert, so they would have to have firewood to use in cooking the food. This would take 4,000 tons of wood and a few more freight trains each a mile long just for one day. Now, I'm not sure I can go along with that because they, they had flocks and herds and they would, they would gather up the dung and use that for firewood and, and stuff like that. So I don't know about that. And just think, there were 40 years in transit. And oh yes, they'd have to have water. If you only had enough to drink and wash a few dishes, it would take 11 million gallons of water every day. And a freight train would tank cars 1,800 miles just to bring water for a day. Now, obviously, that's not the way God worked. But you can see the, the, the incredible... Provisions that would be necessary for the people. These quail that's one of the most amazing miracles I've ever heard of. And he gave it to people that had the wrong attitude. If God would do something like that, something in such abundance with people that had the wrong attitude, what makes us think he wouldn't do something for us who have the right attitude? It seems to me that so much of the church world has the, has the idea that God did more for people in the Old Testament who were servants with the wrong attitude than he's willing to do now for sons who love him. Does that make sense to you? It doesn't to me. Yet, everything about it, everybody kind of tamps down. Well, you know, don't, don't act like God's too big or God will do too much. Why? He says he's the God that's more than enough. 
Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. The Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses on the cross. He was wounded, Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for your transgressions, that's sins. He was bruised for your iniquities, that's sins. The chastisement of your peace was upon him, that's provision. That's the penalty or the, uh, uh, the overcoming of the curse of poverty. And by his stripes, you were healed. That's the overcoming of sickness. The Bible says in the same verse, the same verse that Jesus paid the price for your sins, he paid the price for your sickness. Now, if somebody was coming to get saved, we wouldn't expect them to pray all night to see if God would do it, would we? Why is it different with healing? Jesus paid the same price at the same time. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Now here's the point I'm trying to make, folks. I'm not trying to get people off track as far as their attitude is concerned. I'm trying to do the one thing that the Lord spoke to me about, and I've told you this before, and that is I want you to renew your mind to wealth. I believe with all my heart that's what the Lord told me to do in this, is to get the people to renew their mind to wealth. Now, you judge that for yourself. I'm not responsible for what you do with it. You think I'm off, off the rails here? That's okay. I'm, I'm, then I'll have to answer to God for it. I'm, I don't have a problem with that. But if the Lord did tell me this, then what does that mean to you? What is it about your attitudes or your thoughts or my attitudes, my thoughts, concerning finances that God wants to change? You can't find anywhere where God just barely gets somebody by. Never. You can, you can show times where God meets the need. But the times where the Bible gives us examples, which I don't know what other example to look at except the Bible. He told us if we're going to change our thoughts, we're going to have to go to the Word to get our thought, the thoughts to think. We started off with that in Isaiah 55, didn't we? So what are we supposed to use as an example, or what are we supposed to use as a baseline to think about God regarding finances if it's not His Word? And if God didn't intend for us to, to, to think and to recognize and to accept that He's able to do exceeding abundantly above anything that we might expect, then why does He keep doing this stuff? Second Kings chapter 3, it talks about the children of Israel three days away. They're out on a, on a, uh, a military expedition and they follow the king of Israel, Je- um, uh, was it, not Jehoshaphat, what was his name? The king of Judah followed the king of Israel, bad move, out into the wilderness and let him decide how we're going to do this military campaign. They wind up marching for three days. They're three days away from the last water, no water in sight. What are they going to do? The king of Judah I think it is Jehoshaphat. I think the king of Judah calls for the prophet, Elisha. And Elisha says, if it wasn't for you, Jehoshaphat, I'd let this other king of Israel, this wicked king, die out here in the wilderness. But he said, since it's you, bring me a minstrel and let him play. And so the minstrel plays. So the word of the Lord comes to him and says, dig ditches. How does digging ditches help thirst? In my experience, it just makes you more thirsty. How's that going to happen? Well, the Bible says God brought water in without rain, and it came and it filled the whole valley full of ditches. 
which is an indication to me that if you don't prepare for abundance, you're not going to have abundance. The enemy armies come the next morning, see the sun shining on the water. They know there's no water around, so they're thinking it must be blood. They must have all killed each other. So they just go walking down. Hey, this is easy. This is great. We'll just go take all their stuff. Walk right into the, the, the Israel's camp and get slaughtered, and Israel takes all their stuff. Chapter 4 of Second Kings talks about one woman, one widow, whose husband dies and is in debt. And so she's going to have to lose her all of her sons to debtor's prison. So she goes to Elisha and she says, what am I going to do? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us anything special about this woman. doesn't tell us any reason for God to do something special for her. He, she just goes to the prophet and says, you know, I need help. What am I going to do? There's got to be an answer here. You're the man of God. Tell me what the answer is. So Elisha says... Go borrow every pot you can find. He asked first, what do you have? She said, I've got one little bottle of oil. He said, go find, get every pot you can get your hand on. Borrow not a few. He said, when you get everything you can get, close the doors on you and your sons and pour that oil into the pots. And it lasted as long as the pots lasted. In other words, the abundance that she received was based on the preparation that she made for plenty. And folks, I think that's the reason why the Lord has me teaching on these things. I, I say teaching, I'm really not teaching anything, I'm just showing you what the Bible says. I'm just reading Bible stories. Because if you don't prepare for it, it doesn't just fall on you like ripe cherries off of a tree. And here's the thing, when it comes to healing, God sometimes moves independent of man's faith. We see that in John chapter 5. That's an example in Jesus' ministry. By the way, that's one of the only examples we see in Jesus' ministry. So it's not a common thing. But it does happen from time to time. Now, when it happens with healing, then the church just says, oh, God can do anything. Show me a financial miracle where people say, yeah, well, see, God can do anything. Show me something that happens just out of the blue for people where, where the church stands up and says, well, see, just like healing, God sometimes initiates things. In the area of finances, God sometimes initiates things. You can't find it. You can find sometimes where people say, well, that was just by chance. But nobody gives God credit for anything where it comes to finances except people that are believing God. Nobody. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait for God to do something on his own for me to receive healing. I might need healing before something like that happens. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take what the Bible says about the majority of people that received healing in Jesus' ministry, reach out by faith and receive it according to God's word. Why would it be any different where finances are concerned? We see financial provision was just as much a part of what uh, the blessing of Abraham is as, as healing. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament talks more about financial blessing than it does healing you have to get over into the curse of the law to see that all these different sicknesses are named and identified to really understand that healing is a part of the blessing of abraham not so with finances provision is right up there on the top of the list well then what are we going to do we're going to wait for god to do some kind of miraculous chance thing financially or are we going to reach out by faith and take hold of what the bible says and if we do reach out by faith and take hold of what the Bible says, what do we know this says? That God will just meet your needs? Folks, meeting your needs should be finance 101. God's not the God of meeting your needs. He's the God that's more than enough. The blessing of Abraham is not that you'll have enough to eat. The blessing of Abraham is that I'll command the blessing upon your storehouses. 
And you'll have enough, you won't have to borrow. You'll lend to others and not borrow. That doesn't sound to me like barely getting by. Does it to you? Let me close with this. If you were God, you put yourself in God's position. Just thinking naturally, just thinking as much as you know about God right now. If you were God, who would you want to have the world's wealth? Children of the devil or your own children? Let's look at it another way. Who in the world is going to use the world's wealth for better purposes? The unsaved or the children of God? Why then? I mean, everybody could figure that out. Why then do we have such a hard time thinking that God wants his children to have the wealth of the world? Why is that such a big jump? It makes sense when we think of it logically. I mean, I don't see many sinners that are offering money for the gospel. Do you? That is an unusual thing. And every now and then you'll have something. Somebody will just, you know, be prompted or whatever to give money into the things of God that they don't even believe themselves. And so sometimes that might happen. But how often is that? And could God really count on his work being done if that was the only way it's going to happen? But if he gets the wealth of the world in the hands of his people... Those that have proven themselves faithful, those that know the benefits and the blessings of tithing, those that are not going to take the wealth of the world and then start using it for themselves, but realize that the whole benefit, the whole reason that the wealth of the world is ours is because we put God first. And that we can't take it with us to heaven anyway. Let's use what we've got here and expect a better home in heaven. Why wouldn't he want the wealth of the world in the hands of his own people? But if the Bible's true, that can't happen unless we think his thoughts. Because his word is sent to accomplish and to prosper the thing that he sent it to. If you and I don't think in line with the word where finances are concerned, then he has no faith to respond to, to bring resources into our hands. Folks, I'm looking for spectacular things in these last days. If God can pile quail up three feet deep, why can't he pile other resources up three feet deep? Now, you can think I'm delusional if you want to, but don't wake me up. (laughs) I'm perfectly happy using the word of God that I found to see how big my heavenly father is. And if you somehow feel the need or other people feel the need to to kind of push down, you know, keep this God is big and God is great and God's more than enough idea out, out of the picture, that's their problem. Not me. I'm going to think in line with what the Bible says. God kept appearing to Abraham time after time after time. After he would bless him, after he would increase him, he kept appearing to him again and again and again. And it's almost like he's saying, no, I'm still bigger than that. No, I'm still bigger than that. He finally comes up with, I am the almighty God. I am El Shaddai, the God that's more than enough. God is bigger than you or I or anybody else could ever imagine. And he wants to do more for us than what we want to be done. He just wants to make sure that our heart's in the right place. But he never says no to providing good things in your life. I want to challenge you. Dare to believe the Bible is true and God's provision is real. Thanks so much for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. You're looking at the problems in your body or the problems in your finances. What do you see? So many people are waiting for God to do something on their behalf. And they've got the life of God in them all the time. How much more abundant does the life of God that caused you to be born again have to be for your situation to change? Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.